companies are getting a lot better mm -hmm. at matching covers to books. Welcome back to another episode of Sterling Municipal Library's podcast, All Booked, where we talk to you about books we'd like to recommend. And today we are judging books by their cover. We've all been told not to, but you know. We can't help it. Yeah, we're rebels like that. I so Erlene, Donald, Katie, <laughs> yeah, and Erlene I. is admitting. <laughs> Honestly, like, we all do. We just don't talk about it. Yeah. Anyway, Erlene, Donald, Katie, and I <laughs> are on the show. We each picked out a book that we thought was particularly beautiful, and we're going to talk about whether or not the cover aligned with our expectations of the story. I don't know who wants to reveal their title first? I don't know. I I mean, I guess I can go first since no one else is jumping at the bit. Um, <laughs> that's not that's not the phrase, but you know what I mean. I chose this novella called The Crane Husband by Kelly Barnhill, who is actually the person who wrote The Girl Who Drank the Moon and When Women Were Dragons. I didn't realize that until after I picked it up. But this is a very muted cover. It is a picture of a woman's face, except the silhouette of her face has been made out of feathers and at the top, weirdly, a little claw as like a little as a little hair as flip if it's upside down as if it's upside down and this is actually a retelling of kind of like a fable called the crane wife about a woman who well a crane <laughs> who falls in love and becomes a woman for somebody and she weaves these beautiful tapestries and the man does originally love her but then he wants her to sell more and more and more and basically she just becomes like a bank account for him oh, no. and he pressures her to do it and she's like fine the only thing is you can't interrupt me in my studio and eventually he does and realizes she weaves as a crane and then she basically looks at him and is like well and then flies out the window and just leaves forever. And just leaves? Yes. I love that for So her. this is kind of a retelling slash response novel to that. And I picked it up because it did look very, I don't know, it gives it gives like a very kind of like stoic. She's just staring into space. It's like it a also, full profile picture. It gives art gallery vibes too. It like you can blow it up and vibes. frame it. Yes. And I was hoping that it would read kind of like a literary fiction, kind of a magic realism like type of vibe. And it really did. It is written from the perspective of the daughter of a weaver. Her husband dies and she has this obsession with the idea that the women in her family, when children are <laughs> of age, I guess, when the youngest is five or six, turn into birds and fly away. It's set in the future on a farm, except it's not really a farm because conglomerates have bought all the farmland. So it's just kind of an old farmhouse. And the idea is that they're having like a pretty decent time. Like they're definitely not... They're, they're pretty poor, but they pull it all together. Her, her mom's an amazing artist. They, they work to sell that. She's not the most present of mothers, with the excuse being like, you know, artists. And they definitely have a lot of like town gossip about their family because she does entertain a lot of suitors and things like that. But this young girl who is in her mid-teens has kind of stepped up as the adult of the family, does all the cooking and the cleaning, makes sure like social services doesn't like <laughs> get them, things like that, cares for her brother. And everything is basically going okay because the mother is still present and like loves them very much until she brings home a crane, <laughs> a man-sized crane. Oh and gosh. is like, well, this is, you know, this is your new father. Like, and it's definitely... I really like it because it is definitely this like very interesting metaphor for like toxic relationships, like abusive people 
and I don't want to spoil too much. Like, obviously, it's not a crane. <laughs> right. It's obviously not a human-sized crane. Everyone is treating it like it's normal, but this is just... It's a reflection of the idea that, like, she sees this person as an interloper in her family and can't really understand why her mother loves him so much when he keeps hurting her. Like, she talks about her mother coming, like, to the, the breakfast table and she's refusing to eat that much and she's obsessed with him and she's covered in, like, gashes and she's like, but it's a mistake, though. Like, he didn't do it on purpose. And there's this even, like, this very, like, evocative scene of, like, her seeing, like, the gashes that were so deep that her mom had to, like, sew it back up and the idea of, like, her, like, you know, as a, as a fiber artist has chosen this like bright pink like Mm. thread to sew herself back up and it's just this really interesting thing she's obsessed with the idea of leaving which is really hard for her kids obviously to hear your mom be like if only I could become a bird and fly away from this place and you're like but uh we're here please don't leave but she definitely it's it's like 50% magic realism 50% the story of what happens when like your family story keeps repeating itself and how that happens and how that affects the people that are living there and what they have to bear when you are obsessed with this idea of escape and fleeing a place as if that will make your life better like once you get out like oh nothing bad will happen to me i'm not on the farm anymore and whereas like clearly that's not the case a lot happened very short book it's like 120 pages (laughs) but I really liked it I thought it was fantastic and I think because it was short you were able to kind of like catch these little glimpses of this very short period of their life where the crane husband is there and kind of like the the breakdown of of her mom from a flighty but like loving mother to someone who is is literally becoming like a shell of themselves because they just have this desire to run away and for some reason they think that this person will give them that. And you can still see like moments where like she'll say like, you know, Michael, their younger brother, like Michael doesn't have anything to eat. Like, mom, you have to go to the grocery store. You have to make money. And she has this moment where she realizes like, oh my God, like my son And but then uh, once again, she gets kind of like lured back into this horrible, (laughs) like toxic relationship with her crane man crane. So can you clarify it? Is he a bird or is he a man? In the book. okay, he is a bird. okay, but it is like magic realism. It's stated as if it's normal. okay. obviously it's not. And obviously it is a metaphor, <laughs> okay, okay. but he is a crane in the story. He transforms into a man for about three or four hours a day okay. in, in the night time. And that's when she realizes that he is a man and a crane Got you. because her mom also has bruises and things like that. Right. So the yeah. bruises, is that, is he doing that like as the bird or as the person or does Bru- it not bruises matter? Bruises as, as the person gashes, I think are a metaphor for her kind of like, yeah, cause- so the abuse is happening. The abuse is real. With the crane and as the man. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're asking, wondering if it was happening only at nighttime or when it's no, when yeah. the crane. No, yeah. So oh. it, it is It is always framed as like an accident, obviously. I, mm. I think the gashes are metaphorical in that obviously if someone was like <laughs> losing that much blood, they probably wouldn't be okay. But I think the idea is that he is like stripping away 
like who she is and yeah. kind of building that oh it was just an accident it's okay like you see the main character start to like anytime he comes in the house like basically tell her brother like to just leave because he accidentally in quotations knocks things over or like hits people or like Oof. yeah because he's like oh he's just so large it's like it's not his fault his wingspan mm -hmm. his wingspan is so large he can't help but knock things over like that kind of thing she keeps making excuses for him the mother and is still weaving she's obsessed with this final thing that she's making and they're always locked in her studio together but she won't tell them what it is i won't tell you what it is either because <laughs> so, transformational this feels like the spiritual opposite of my boyfriend is a bear i was the entire <laughs> okay. time i was like i was thinking the my boyfriend is a bear. observation i can make yes. but that's no. why i asked if he was like an actual bird because i'm like it's giving my boyfriend is a bear so it's like but if he's bird. just a bird <laughs> okay i'm glad i wasn't the only one in the room right? i was like i have to say this yeah no <laughs> I understand, I understand that <laughs> comparison. And it it does very much feel like a spiritual opposite because him being a bird, like her her father who passed away at one point talks about the crane wife and she, and he says it doesn't make any sense that she's a crane. A crane is a predator. It makes more sense if the man was a crane and the child and the and the girl was a mouse or like something like, you know, that it would prey on. Yeah. And that is obviously like a, a little nod to both the previous story and also the kind of retelling of of it as the man is this sort of like predator in the house that is like hurting people and making people do what he wants and he just really wants her to finish this art piece and he gets mad when she can't finish it or if she doesn't you know like all that stuff but it was it was really good though if you if you are interested or willing to <laughs> read a book where they're everyone's seriously like and it was a crane 100 <laughs> percent. like at one point there's a picture and there's like and your brother is here by this pond with no adult supervision and there's a very large bird in the background <laughs> and it's fully just the crane interesting <laughs> the six foot tall crane <laughs> yeah did it feel like a downer it it kind of did because it felt like especially because you were re you were reading this from the perspective of like a 16 year old girl or a 15 year old girl it it was very much just kind of like watching a slow motion train wreck because no matter how hard she tries like she can't make her mom snap out of what's happening mm -hmm. she can't be like mom like he's hurting you he's a crane like don't don't date a crane mm -hmm. like that kind of stuff and she gets more frustrated with her mother because she knows that it, this is wrong like that she's not doing what she's supposed to do but she also gets frustrated because the people in town are very judgmental of her and her mother and her family so it's this weird place of being very protective of her mother but also at the same time realizing her mother is a thing that is bringing their family down mm -hmm. like because she refuses to to see the truth basically that he's a crane and he's hurting her <laughs> Dang. yeah that's heavy yeah it is very heavy that's why it's good that's only 120 pages <laughs> yeah, that'll be a lot to you don't have out. to stay in there for too long yeah <laughs> okay who wants to follow that who up? wants to follow the crane husband <laughs> i have something kind of like ooh, i want to say similarly toned but less melodramatic and more just full-on crazy mm-hmm Okay. It's not crazy to to marry a crane. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I, felt, I felt like yours is a little more. Oh god, how do I say classy? Classy. <laughs> the, like the Thank way you. it was, the, like the style of it just seemed so much more like ro not romantic, but goodness, just something. <laughs> no, there's no romance. There's no, no romance. romance. No. I <laughs> 
Okay, fine. <laughs> mine, mine is okay. So my book is called Tell All by Chuck Polinick, and I chose it because it has this like Marilyn Monroe esque woman, a uh, mm-hmm. woman's head with very very bright red lipstick, and she's got yeah. like the title words are very thin. They look like line tears coming down her face. Mm-hmm. So I was I was just like all of the lettering and the white color palette, the drawing, everything just was like, I want to read this book. Yeah. I want to read this. And then I read it and it was very much like a like a tell-all. It feels like a trashy novel. So, <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> like a trashy article someone that, like wrote in a trashy <laughs> <laughs> magazine. But I think that's the point. Yes, like yeah. That's the style. The uh, they bring it up a lot of times. Okay, so the premise is we are following this famous or was famous actress, Catherine Kenton, and her, her what do you call the person who like, well, basically her PA, but like not her okay. PA, someone who's been with her for basically her entire career, fills several roles. Like she cleans the house, she dresses her, she kind of like vets different screenplays mm-hmm. for her and things like that. And their kind of like toxic relationship. Yeah. So they bring it up a lot or the main character, her name is Hazy. She brings it up a lot that sometimes with actresses or actors that are back in those like early 1920s, 1930s, when like mm-hmm. Hollywood was like first becoming a thing, they would there would be people who would meet these aging stars and kind of like feed off of their stories and like Mm. pick apart their brains and like sit down and like listen to them and like all their stories and they would write like these very sleazy books about them after they'd passed and so it's kind of like the the main character Hazy is trying to protect her her Catherine from that Mm -hmm. when throughout the story things just get kind of like more and more demented right it's like of course she is obsessed with Miss Catherine she sees herself less of her assistant or even like her person who like like does think i guess assistant and more is like her maker her puppeteer she even says right oh wow like she she really thinks she has a hand on like what miss Catherine does and how she's behaving and that's just only in her head because she sees miss Catherine is someone who really likes stardom she likes being famous she likes being popular she likes she just loves she loves the lifestyle mm-hmm. and hazy sees that as something that can, is dangerous she sees that destroy other stars and so she's trying to protect her miss Catherine uh, from doing that but her love is very toxic and very heavy-handed at one point miss Catherine gets this what do you like a like a like a note like a like a love letter basically oh no it was it was sorry it was a date invitation she gets a date invitation hazy grabs it first because she takes all the mail of course she gets all that first and she changes the date on the letter and she lets Miss Catherine think that she was stood up just so that she could be distraught and she could like basically like fix her up. Comfort her. Exactly. That's called something. What is that called? I don't it is called something, right? It's called something where you want the person to always Yeah. And I don't know what that's called, but codependency. (laughs) It would be codependent if Miss Catherine actually needed her at one point. uh, so they met when they were very young girls. They were both auditioning for like the same role, but Catherine is the like the ingenue. She's beautiful. Mm -hmm. She's got violet eyes. And Hazy, she describes herself as like monstrous, you know? And so they have had this 30 plus year long relationship kind of where Hazy's just very controlling. He's very yeah. controlling and Does Miss um, Catherine know that she's doing any of this? No, she thinks she's her friend. Okay. So it kind of almost reminds me of that weird fusion of like admiration and jealousy and almost romantic interest all of that. like yeah. all, all turned of that. into this twisted version was that kind of the Yeah, it okay. was exactly that. It was like she saw her bond with Miss Catherine as something that was so so strong and so profound that she had to go to great lengths to protect mm-hmm. it and to kind of like build her and protect Miss Catherine from herself essentially yeah. when that wasn't it but they also like a like a stalker but one that is with the person that all the lives time. with you yeah yes. yeah yeah, yeah. She's like yeah. I know female. what's good for you I mean in my the, brain yes. I keep thinking that single that white female yes I, I will go there single white <laughs> female so it was very much that and it was it was set up as like this mystery thriller where eventually Miss Catherine meets someone the person 
she had the date with. And they eventually, like, they, they work things out and they start, things start getting hot and heavy. And of course, Hazy does not like that. Mm-mm. So She's that's not when this. Good enough for Miss Catherine. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's when the plot starts to spin. Uh, the, the, the narrative comes up of, like, he's probably one of those people who just wants to, like, listen to her stories and write this gross book about her when she dies. And so suddenly, out of nowhere, these manuscripts start to pop up that have the that detail intimate moment like very intimate moments between Miss Catherine Miss Catherine and <laughs> and his name was his name was Webster Carlton Westward the Third. Okay, 1920s <laughs> royalty. I mean, Webster oh my gosh. Webster the Third. Yes. Oh, money. Uh, okay. For most of the book, Hazy calls him the web specimen. Oh, <laughs> I love that. So good. And it's, it's, she's actually very witty. So, like, the author style, fantastic. His character's terrible. Mm-hmm. I, but that's, I think that's what's funny. I think about that's it. like a, that's also a, a hallmark of Chuck Palahniuk, is yeah. that he is pretty. He also yeah. usually includes some sort of major twist at the end. Mm-hmm. Did you get that without revealing it? Here's the thing. Oh, I saw the twist coming (laughs) because I think I don't know when this book was written but I had read enough like thriller slash mysteries to like know where it was going like we we, we've all seen single white female like this story (laughs) basically wrote itself so I was I kept waiting for things to kind of twist in a very weird direction and it didn't do that like after the manuscripts start to pop up they all besides like the really intimate details they all end with like Miss Catherine's death and they she always dies in very different very gruesome ways because there are a number of drafts that keep popping up right yeah and as Miss Catherine finds these drafts she's getting more and more paranoid and in her paranoia she keeps hurting Webster like she she gets so jumpy around him at one point that she kind of like they're at the zoo and she like he goes to like put his arm around her and she like freaks out and he she hits him and he falls over the railing into like one of the enclosures oh yeah and thank god he's like he's alive to you know luckily in the future they have higher railings (laughs) for situations like that just like that this makes me feel like with the with the violet eyes, Elizabeth mm-hmm. Taylor had violet eyes. Mm-hmm. The Marilyn Monroe esque look of the cover. Yes, I'm. If I'm wrong, do some research. I'm thinking both those women had people in their lives that were kind of obsessed with them in that kind of way. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering, very like leechy. Yeah, like, and I'm wondering yeah. if he's feeding off of that because they were both considered beautiful actresses. Mm-hmm. And people wanted to be them. They were the sought after during their time. I'm wondering if they had that in their lives that he played off of that to make this story. To make this story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. There's a lot of name dropping. Miss Catherine knows everyone in Hollywood. It is honestly fantastic. So at one point her dog dies. I'm so sorry. But all all of these invitations all of these invitations were supposed to like be sent out and she like asks Miss Hazy like, you know, have you sent the invitation? And no one showed up to the funeral because, of course, Hazy didn't send those invitations out. But Hazy's also like name dropping like Elizabeth Taylor. She's name dropping Cary Grant and like all the old Hollywood stars because Miss Catherine like knows them all and expects them all to be there. So it was it was very interesting. The, the style of it, I, I keep coming back to it because I really liked it. It was it's, <laughs> <laughs> for as much as I ragged on it and like kind of saw the ending coming. I really liked the way it was told. The story is told like a screenplay, mm-hmm. and so at some point you. I, as far as descriptions go, you get sentences like cut to cut living to outside, room scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like cut to a different scene and they describe things as though it were a screenplay being submitted to someone. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so like, yeah, style, it's fantastic. It's a tell-all. So exactly. you're you're seeing all of the behind the scenes stuff. Yes. As if someone who knew both of them was writing on both of them. <laughs> yeah, was writing on both of them. And so it's like, as I said, you can imagine like how that ended. And I, I, I will say I kind of like the ending even though i like saw it coming i mm-hmm. liked that it wasn't kind of like like it wasn't happy 
Mm. Yeah. It, didn't, it didn't end well. Not really. To, uh, no. <laughs> Am I rubbing what? off on you? Love it. Do you think it fit the like style of the cover? I think this cover fits the, style, the, yeah. the tone of the book. The audiobook that I was listening to had a very different cover. It's very much like, if I, if you will indulge me. Of course. Uh, <laughs> there are colored letters. Yes. It almost kind of looks like the, do you know the magazine script? Like the when, whenever they would like kidnap a child. Yeah. There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Like the serial like killer cutout stuff? The yeah, serial cutout. killer cutouts, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, but it's also just very colorful. Oh, okay. Which doesn't at all match the tone of the story. It's just white with colorful letters, yeah? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. No, I like the cover of the book that I actually grabbed. That actually made me read the yeah. story. Especially because everything was black and white back then. So, you've got the, the completely exactly. white and black with the red lips. Yes. It's really cool. So, nice. Not, not, not bad. Not bad. There you go. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. <laughs> You're welcome, Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I guess I'll go next. Okay. So, I had three books. You had three books? No, no, no. Listen, listen. I'm not even prepared. So, no, listen. <laughs> so, the first book I had was because I am a sci-fi geek. Mm-hmm. It was it was Stephen King's The Face in the Crowd. And it's a creepy old man. And it's a short story. And on the other side, it's a two stories in one. <gasps> oh. The Longest December. Double covers. And I love how pretty that looked, like the whole snowball kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Checked it out, never read it. So <laughs> yeah. Erlene, is, Erlene is proving that you can check something out because you think it's pretty, but, but I loved it doesn't because you read it. I was like, oh, look at that. And it's a expanded version. What does that mean? And then, you know, the hand holding the snow globe with the house and the blood. So me, right? Right. Yes. And then the, yeah, but old- the old man one doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I don't see that and go like, mm, want to read that book? Yeah. And I was like, no. So it's one of his short stories, I think, that never was really published, but now they published it. Mm-hmm. So then I picked up Love and Color. Oh, okay. I've yes. seen that one, yeah. Yes. Very cute And this cover. is the one I'm going to talk about. But before I go there, then I saw... Did you another book? The God of Good Looks. <gasps> that one oh. I would have read. And I was like, ooh, yum, yum, what does that Absolutely. mean? It's got yes. kind of like a like a sugar skull thing going right, on. Right, beautiful kind of Day of the Dead feel as well yeah. with the purple mm-hmm. hair and the makeup. Mm-hmm. And I was drawn to, when I picked it up, I, I didn't do anything. When I picked up the book, I just picked them up. Mm-hmm. I didn't read the cover. I didn't read anything about it. And then what I love about it was this takes place in Trinidad. And I, my family's from Trinidad. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, what? look at that. But didn't read it. So, um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so then I saw this, The Color in Love by Bolo Babalua. I'm probably saying that. Katie, you want to help me with that? Babalola? Babalola. So she is a Nigerian descent, born in England, author, and she's a writer-producer. She's written for Tracy Ullman's show and another show. This is her first, like, anthology. She has another book that was a kind of a YA, which was the... Wait a second. Honey and Spice, which was on Reese Witherspoon's oh, yeah. book club. And this is a book of many stories, which I love. I didn't know it was going to be that. Mythical tales from around the world. And what's cool is every story is an, either about a god or goddess retold. Oh, and I like so, that. Right? Fun. So, listen, I have notes. I'm so good. So, it's a remix of ancient love stories and you know I y'all know me I don't do love stories okay I know (laughs) that's why I was really surprised when I saw the cover but the cover is you know two people and all these lovely colors Mm -hmm. and I just I just thought it was really beautiful and I'm like oh love and color and I was must have had a moment of softness in my life (laughs) and I picked it up and I was like okay I'll, I'll do this and I didn't realize it and then I wanted to research the author realizing she's written and produced for different TV shows and mm-hmm. comedy and sketch. And this is her first actual anthology. Then she did the whole, like I said, um, 
what was it called? Honey and Spice. Honey and Spice. And so this book is a remake of ancient love stories, Asian, Greek, and African. Mm -hmm. So you'll have all that in here. And what I love about this book is she's taken these stories that are have women in them and revamped it where they're very women empowered. Mm -hmm. So they may have been weak in old school story or fairy tale and now they're empowered. She hopes this book is a step towards the decolonization of tropes about love. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, okay, Mm -hmm. that's deep. (laughs) Never thought about it that that way. And so in here, there's many stories. So you have at least Osan, the Nefertiti, Atem. Uh, Yeah, so it's all all of those. So I only read a few. I read the introduction. I think it was beautiful. And what I loved about it was the way her words flow and to put it together. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was reading a love story. Mm. Yeah. So I didn't feel like Mm -hmm. there's a specific style of writing for like mythology. It feels like Mm -hmm. did it feel like that? Like it had the same style? Or did it feel more modern? It felt more modern. Okay. It didn't feel like I was reading some old something. Yeah. And so the introduction, introduction is beautiful. I'm not going to bore you with any parts of that. <laughs> but I want to talk about Atem. And the Atem story is a retelling. And I didn't want to go back and think about the old mythical stories to kind of taint my mind because mm-hmm. I don't know all of them. Mm-hmm. But this one, Atem, is a play on an old folk tale that's Nigerian, Atem and the King's Wife. And it's, it's I-T-U-E-N, Atem, I think, Atem and the King's Wife. His name is Atun, I-T-U-E-N, and then her name is A-T-T-E-M. So it's Atun and the King's Wife. Okay. The King's Wife is only about her and him. So Atun is a young man, beautiful, gorgeous, glistening, skin lovely and his family was poor and the village was just impoverished and they said son go try to make something of yourself because right now the land is just it's not flourishing so he's a thief so he believes if i steal from the rich it's okay because they don't appreciate it yeah so he goes village to village he steals he swindles he winks his eye smiles and Women love him and he's charismatic. Mm -hmm. And so now he's in this village and he can can smell wealth. Mm -hmm. He's like, I can smell it. It's, I just know what it feels like and tastes like. I can sense it a mile away. I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of sexy. So he's in this village market and he's, he never stays in one town very long. So he's always a visitor and he, it hurts his soul that I'm never have family. I don't have that connection. I don't have someone to come home to where just, this is home. It's always, you're welcome. Have a good time. And then he leaves mm. because he's always going to be taking or stealing and doing swindling in some kind of way. So he's in this village and he's at this table and he sees a woman and they have a little banter, a little flirting and are you not married? And no, I'm still looking for my wife or well, your eyes are closed. You're not looking hard enough. I'm like, okay, oh, for, for, for. <laughs> you know? And they describe the 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 smell of the corn and the incense and all those things. And his back is turned and he says, I he said, I smelt wealth. I felt something. And the woman he was talking to, who was at her own booth, just stopped. Ugh, this woman, her. So it was that kind of snarty kind of, I hate this. Mm -hmm. And then he turns and he sees this woman and all he saw was a silhouette and like an entourage of people. And so now the woman in front of him is just attitude. I can't stand. She thinks she's this. She thinks she's that. The the typical, I hate her type of thing. And he he sees her. He's like, oh my God, that person is beautiful. I need to get closer. While he's talking No, he's like on his head. Okay, okay, okay. But honey, he's not thinking about this other woman anymore. But it's clear that she is royalty (laughs) because she has like women 
with her and then mm-hmm. further back a man guarding her. Mm-hmm. And so the woman who's talking to him now is, you know, spilling the beans. Oh, that's that's the king's fourth, seventh wife. But she comes out every fourth day all the time, which not allowed. Women shouldn't be doing that. She's, she's now first wife. How is she the first wife? Privileges when she's the seventh wife and mm-hmm. the youngest wife. And she's just loose and all these things. And she just pushed herself. So come to find out her name is Atem. And Atem is young. She's his seventh wife. And the king is a tyrant. Doesn't care about anyone. He steals. He swindles. He has clawed his way. His family has clawed their way into royalty. And he's not really a nice person. And so they had some type of festival where he had all these young women out and about acting all timid and meek, right? Well, Atem's family was indebted to the royalty. To royalty, mm. Their land, they, they owed money, and the king gave them two options. Give me your land and be enslaved, or you have to leave. And they had the land for generations. And I think she's the oldest child. So she was like, we can't, I can't let you give your land up. So she said, I just have to. And also she was a thief as well growing up. So she would go and steal. So it's just like a tune, I tune, where he would steal to make sure he had what he needed for his family himself. Mm-hmm. She was the exact same way. So she decided, I need to do, seduce the king. Plain and simple, I'm going to seduce him. So she's gorgeous. She mm-hmm. is like curls and hair and skin and smile. And she has this type of power about herself that is just enchanting. So mm-hmm. she's at this festival and she pushes her way to the front and she's dancing and moving. And he is loving every bit of what she's doing. And all the other women are just vexed. And he's like, I want to marry her. And he marries her. And that's how she frees her family from owing debt. So now her family's able to take care of her village mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. her family can give back because he, you know, she tells him she'll marry him. And she, she's, she's, she has a snake tongue, mm-hmm. you know, I love you so much. And so she makes her way in by snoozing him and saves her family. But now she's married to him. And so she was like, I need to be able to worship and praise, praise the, the gods for, for me having you. So I need to be able to go to my little spot. A little, I need my own little spot to mm-hmm. go and just, just worship. Just because I'm so worship. happy yes. that I'm married right. to you. Yes. So happy. <laughs> just as this wrinkly old hanging cheek and, mm. you know, and just, you know, basically in a way, let me just go through this two minutes of whatever mm. to make sure my family is okay. Mm-hmm. So she carved some kind of freedom. Mm-hmm. She carved some kind of freedom. But what she would do... Being the seventh wife, she would never get a chance to leave every fourth day. Yeah. But they can't. They said, oh, she just gets to roam around. Why are you? You're not his wife. Why are you jealous? <laughs> she worked her way through. So she'll tell him sweetly, I need to go and do this. So what she's done is she's set it up where the only people around her close are women. Mm-hmm. And the men must stay further back. Mm. That's against the rules. She said, I feel safer around these women because these men... I only want you around me. The only man I want close to me is you. Oh, she's good. The lies and alibis, <laughs> right? And I'm, and I'm reading, I'm thinking, that's right, The girl. eyelashes are just fluttering. <laughs> she just grab his chin and say, I need to. So every woman around her, in some way, she's saved. Mm. She may have been in the village or in the market and saw them stand up for themselves. So her right-hand girl, Athena, she saw her in the market one day trading, trying to trade a cow. And the gentleman was giving her a hard time and tried to pull her, tug at her, whatever. And she took something and she hit him in all the spots. You don't need to be hit as a man. And Tim saw her and says, bring her to court. She thought she's going to get killed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she says, you stand up for yourself. I like that. And made her part of her court. 
and took care of her family. So that's She's her right hand person with people who are loyal to her, loyal to her, people who are willing to fight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So she never treated her women as servants. Mm -hmm. She never said that made them obey. It's her policy. So on the fourth day, what she would do, or yeah, the fourth day or the fourth week, she was hunting for men. She was preying on her freedom. So yeah, I have this king I have to deal with, right? Deal mm -hmm. with. So she'd be out and about and she'll meet people set up some kind of thing and then they'll go to her worship cave mm -hmm. and she would do what she wanted to do oh. and then <laughs> donald don't be oh no I just, are you blushing you, you said hunting for men so i was like oh my god she, she's sacrificing she's them no so right in, so no. the woman empowerment part of it is she's taking back yes i did this for my family mm -hmm. But I'm not going to sit back. I will carve out some joy for myself. Okay. Yeah. And so that's what she would do. So that's how she met Atem. Gotcha. Atem. So he was in the village and he saw her. And he was like, who is I smell wealth. I smell money. <laughs> and so she had noticed him as well. So the energies connected. And she moved closer and he moved closer, but not suspiciously. Right. And they struck up some conversation, bartering for some leopard and then she was like you know what my maiden needs a husband come have dinner at court with us meet us back here this time he was like wait a minute so they had a banter and he was like i'm i'm loving this energy right. he realized i have no power here she totally transferred the energy of him being in control and she took control of the situation mm -hmm. and then they would meet for months and weeks and she ended up not looking for anyone else but him and they would just meet in this area. Well, come to find out, someone told on her. Mm. So she's in her of cave course. that has like rugs and fruits and berries. Draperies. Just something you would think <laughs> of Luxury. she would go there and pray and have her yeah. moment. Mm -hmm. And she'd have her her maidens with her. That's her alone time that he allowed her to have that no other wife had. Someone told her her. Athena ran her up there to tell her they're coming. They're coming. And she was with him at that time. It's like months now. Like. Mm -hmm six seven eight months they've been doing this and he's like just leave with me so i can't leave if i leave right now i look suspicious so i'm standing my ground right here and she said afina you can if he's i'm not leaving you don't leave that's fine i've never made you obey for anything but i'm telling you i'm not leaving and stay with me please because whatever happens right now it happens mm -hmm. and in the cave before they came they were talking to each other about this has to be the last time and it never was the last time and how you give me so much freedom and love and i appreciate it but it can't continue because it's getting too close. And so not to spoil anything of the story, she makes a t she makes a 10 leave. And he's like, I will come back for you. She says, I'll find you. If I'm not dead, I'll find you. And that's where it ends. So I'll end it for you. Wow. I want to know more. That's not enough. It's so good. It's so, Spicy. so good. That was good. That was mm -hmm. nice. And was these feel like they're kind of longer, like maybe meatier than regular short stories or no yeah it's okay. only like 15 16 pages but they give you a lot mm -hmm. yeah in it they give you a lot and there was something i wanted to i just wanted to say like read something at some point but i can't find it of course i can't find it. i was it. also flipping through my book like oh there's a really like good part that i want to share later and then i was just like dang that's why i should put sticky notes on it that's why you do you see those books sometimes with the people that are reading and they'll have like the colorful like tabs? <laughs> I'm just like, here's the thing. I would love to be you, but that means I have to break the immersion to be like, oh, mm -hmm. that's beautiful. Yeah, no. no, I don't like doing that. I'm just like, keep going. Yeah. Also, I never have <laughs> sticky notes on hand. I have to go like, you know, break the immersion, find a sticky note, find a pen now too, and then write my note down. Trash. It's okay. All right. So I also had to do a do-over. The very first book that I picked out was called The Liar's Dictionary. And yes. it has this gorgeous like peacock on the cover, but rather than having the full spread of feathers, there is an open dictionary for its tail. It 
had a very playful but slightly surreal vibe to the cover and I was like okay I'll give this a try you know it's it's a word nerd book it's about this dictionary that has never been completed but people keep working on it so you're following like the original people that started writing it as well as the modern day like failing business and the woman that's still trying to keep this thing alive just because she needs a paycheck it is also about mount weasels which if you don't know what that is Mm -hmm. that is a made-up term that was put in dictionaries as a way to catch people who are trying to plagiarize. So so anyway, you learn a lot of really interesting things about words and stuff, but the overall tone was more playful than I felt in the mood for. And Mm. there were so many like, I don't know, addendums to the beginning that Mm. I was like, this is is too much work for the intro. Like Mm. I I need something where I can just step in and feel like I've stepped into a new location, new life, whatever. Mm -hmm. And this is too much buildup to get there. So I probably will come back to it when I'm feeling a little bit more playful and like, I'm willing to do more silliness, but that just didn't suit the mood. So the second book, I went to our new book section and was like, okay, I'm going to channel Chasley here. And I looked for a book that kind of spoke to me. And the book that I landed on is Wayward by Amelia Hart. The cover is gorgeous. It has this very scientific illustration vibe of nature. There's a crow on the cover and a whole bunch of insects, which that's, of course, what drew my attention, (laughs) especially because if you hold the cover just right in the light, the insect's wings shimmer. So I was like, okay, this is really pretty. I'm going to give this a shot. (laughs) The book is about three women who are all tied to the same family, the Wayward family, who is rumored to have had witches in their bloodline. So nice. you're following one one girl named Altha in the 1600s as she's being tried for witchcraft. She and her mother grew up providing like holistic health services to the small village of Crowsbeck, but unfortunately a couple of their patients have died and they're accusing her of being the cause of it. Mm-hmm. So you're following that very tense, you know, and she's 16. She, you know, really just grew up in this tiny village learning how to like use different herbs and stuff as medicines. So she doesn't really know how to defend herself very well. And to make it even worse, it is her former best friend. They grew up together when they were 13. They had a falling out when the best friend's mom died. The best friend's name is Grace. It is Grace's husband who died that is the cause for this trial that's going on. Dang. So that's extremely tense. And then you have in the 1940s, my personal favorite character. Her name is Violet. She grew up in seclusion in this hall that's kind of, I guess, the largest house in the Crowsbeck area. Her mother died, according to her, giving birth to her younger brother, Graham. And nobody will talk to her about her mother. They don't ever have guests over. Her father is kind of like that man's man, keeps his hunting trophies, likes talking about his involvement in World War One, and, you know, really likes his port and stuff and has really been trying his best to mold Violet into not her mother and also a proper young woman because Violet ultimately wants to explore the globe and study nature, whether it be insects or birds or something else. She just wants to be outside climbing trees and observing nature. So everything comes to a head there when her cousin who is involved in World War II, is taking kind of a reprieve from the battlefront and comes to stay with them and starts to groom her. Gosh. And then, yes. And then Mm. you have Kate, who is in 2019, she's escaping an abusive spouse who is abusive on every sense of the word, like financial, emotional, physical, you name it. She has made her escape plan because she has inherited this cottage from her great aunt Violet. Mm Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so she made sure that she kept everything in separate accounts and she has fled that way only to find out that she is expecting. So you have these three different women that are all tied by that same bloodline. They're kind of exploring their unnatural ties to nature. So mm. where Katie said that hers was about 50% magical realism, this is maybe about 10% magical realism. Okay. They have a certain amount of influence over nature, like insects and stuff will respond especially well to them. There is a familiar that is a crow that kind of has that, I think it's called leucism, where it's a little bit of like light streaking on its feathers rather than just being pure black. So that's what kind of makes him identifiable. Mm -hmm. And he seems to follow the generations of women. <laughs> but a lot of it, because this is a very, this is a story centered on women who don't want to fall in line with society. Mm -hmm. A lot of it does explore like the things that are inflicted on these women by men. So I did see some pretty ugly TLDR reviews of this on Goodreads where they were like, okay, we get it, you hate men. But I don't really think that's the point. I think this is more just about these women who want to live outside of what society considers proper, normal, or correct, and yeah, how I, they are existing within that yeah, space. And like how hard I, that is. Like, yeah, I feel like like personal relationships are the best way to exemplify like society pushing back against a person. It's much more relatable for a person to be the metaphorical hand of society than to like see agree with like oh like it was the 1940s and a whole town like turned against her that feels less realistic than yes. a person trying to keep her like down and i will say i'm listening to the audiobook it is narrated so the three central characters each have a different voice actress in Ooh, the like that. in the audiobook and each one is superb they're very distinct mm -hmm. they're british it's wonderful like <laughs> listening to it has been a dream so i'm only about 50 percent of the way through but i am looking forward to completing this book because it is so atmospheric there are some really hard elements in this like yeah. this book has rape in it it's mm -hmm. got like violence against women so yeah. there were some people who were just like hey this maybe should have come with a trigger warning but i kind For such of a pretty cover <laughs> yes it, it has some pretty dark things in it yeah. but i think ultimately you can't help but root for these women and hope that they find the happiness that they deserve mm -hmm. so gosh i'm glad you liked it better than the other book though yes because i do think sometimes the book like the the cover of the liar's dictionary didn't seem very whimsical to me so it's weird to for you to say like it was very like quirky and fun like kind it, of it was nerd whimsical which nerd takes whimsical. a certain amount of concentration as well which maybe that's part of my problem yeah. is i just wanted to feel kind of like i was awash in the story mm -hmm. and this one was going to require more atmosphere more rigor yeah. to understand it fully mm -hmm. so i can see what you're saying yeah especially since it is a word nerds book gotta pay attention to those words yeah on like page three <laughs> there were like 15 words that i didn't recognize at all which if i were in a more like receptive state of mind yeah. maybe i'd go look those up but i don't have the patience or time for that right now yeah, yeah. So. that's fair gotta read those on kindle so you can just click them <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a good idea so overall do we feel like what we saw with the books matched our expectations of the cover set i think so yeah absolutely yeah. Absolutely. I also think that, like, I don't know if it's just the books that we chose, but they're all very character driven. Their characters are going through very heavy things, especially based on the covers that we chose. Is that something mm -hmm. like, what does that say about, I'm sorry, being psychology? Or, no, yeah. that's cool. What does that say about us as opposed to, like, the editors who choose the covers or the designers? I mean, who to be fair, covers? I think it says that companies are getting a lot better mm -hmm. at matching covers to books mm -hmm. <laughs> matching the feeling and also letting you know like kind of what it's going to be about like yours was everyone was connected to nature and on the front lots of nature right a lot of ours are very character driven 
and you know there's characters on the front there are like people on the front yeah. yeah like i think i think you could just as easily avoid character driven novels if you just avoided everything that had people on the front and you'd have a better chance as opposed to picking something that had a portrait on the front i even feel like some of the breezy romance novels that are popular right now that have that really distinct illustration style yes. of like the characters but it's it's got a real fun vibe those are pretty yeah. i'm actually reading one right now mm-hmm. but you know what you're getting by looking at the cover. Even Same just with, the way people are standing yes. like on the cover, you're like, oh, this is those... enemies to lovers because they're yeah. facing away or something. I think no matter what, people, like working, being in this library, you mm-hmm. notice people, you're very visual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're not, if it just had words on it, how attracted would you be to the book? Mm-hmm. We all pick up a book because, oh, that's different. It looks different. Yeah. The size is different. Mm-hmm. Or that's thick or that's pretty. Those colors are vibrant. Mm-hmm. Those colors. And then you open the inside cover to see what it's going to be about. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think like with romances, you have the whimsical and you have the very provocative. You were supposed to be understated ones where it's just a tie and you know that's going to be dirty. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's a black and it allows your imagination to go. Yeah. It really does. I think with, with this one, Love and Color, I realized, and I read a few of the other stories, but I realized she's so visual with the wording of the mm-hmm. story. It makes it very colorful. Just mm-hmm. talking about the smells and the sounds and the way she describes people's skin and just everything, it just made it very colorful and alive to where I didn't mind reading it because it wasn't just straightforward a love story. It was almost like mm-hmm. a love story for yourself loving yourself and wanting to be empowered and resisting or not resisting and then going into the escape. Yeah. I think it's even like a love story for different cultures stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do have mm-hmm. a little a little passage. So this is in the eighth page of the book, very beginning. And they they don't live on a farm, but they do have animals that she harvests their wool. And then eventually when they get too old to produce wool, she kills them and they eat them because it's a farm. <laughs> Donald's looking sad like he doesn't eat burgers. <laughs> <laughs> and she is very kind to the to the sheep that they have and like, you know, spends a lot of time with them and treats them very well. And she says at one point, it's a sad fact about true love. My mother told me once the sheep love me without ceasing. And that is why I'm able to cause them pain. Love is the path of least resistance. You see, it's a lot more work to cause harm to someone who mistrusts you or fears you or hates you. Love opens the city gates wide and allows all manner of horrors inside. That's why they don't flinch when I come at them with something unpleasant. She paused for a moment. She took my hand between both of hers and her face became grave. It's the same thing with us. You'll understand this when you're older. You'll learn that you're safest around people you mistrust and dislike. Your guard is up, you see. The more you love someone, the more dangerous to you they become. The more you love someone, the more willing you are to show them your throat. At the time, I thought this was wise. I think differently now. Ooh. Eight pages in and they're like, oh, so we know what's going to (laughs) happen. Well, there's two things that I wanted to talk about then. So the beginning of a Tim that I Mm -hmm. love in his description of wealth, he says, Atum, Atum knew the scent of wealth. The corners of his mouth curled up in tantum with his aroma. It was delicious, earthy, and tart, and it swirled up into and around the curves of his mouth, his nostrils, before settling sweet inside him. It was undetectable to the untrained nose, mingling with canophagy. I'm probably Mm-hmm. A heady scent that saturated the busiest of marketplaces. I'm like, is that what well smells like? Because, girl, that was intimate. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I, was I know, like, it's just like, sir. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> and then really quickly, I wanted to at the introduction, which I, that drew me in, mm-hmm. never does, but this one did. To say that I love, love, would probably be akin to me saying that I am quite fond of inhaling oxygen. Love is the prism through which I view the world. I truly believe it binds and propels us. 
This isn't a naive denial of darkness that we know exists in the world. Rather, it is refusal to allow the devastation, the horror, the heartache to consume us. It is affirming the knowledge that there is light. Love is that light. Romance sweetens the casual bitterness we can endure. It heightens the mundane and makes ter terrestrial supernatural. The time it takes for two paired lips to meet is millisecond, but it can feel as if time has stretched indefinitely. I'm like, oh, well, okay. That was good. That was beautiful. That was and you've definitely gotten softer. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Your passage about love makes things sweeter. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> we won't. It's okay. Stop no one will know. It's okay. just on the internet. <laughs> I, yeah, I know for reals. Okay, so I have one. And I really love the way these different chapters are framed. But this is from Violet's point of view. She got ready for dinner and she heard a cricket like in the background. And earlier she'd been thinking about how she felt sorry for the cricket because she only heard one and it was alone. But then she kind of starts to reminisce on like how she's not ever really liked the idea of being married. And she tries to picture a future for herself and Frederick. That's her cousin who's going to end up being gross. Might it be possible to have both things, love and insects? Perhaps Frederick would fall in love with her and then once they were married would be quite happy for her to become a world traveling scientist. But even as these thoughts made her feel warm and light inside, doubt rolled in like a dark cloud. And then the chapter ends with, it was half past eight, shafts of pink light patterned the staircase as Violet made her way back to her bedroom. As she passed the window on the second floor, she realized that she could no longer hear the chirp of the solitary cricket. Perhaps it had given up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. I have a little paragraph. Abandoning the trophy, the dust cloth stilled in one hand, I follow the sound of footsteps up the stairs to where Miss Catherine's boudoir door is closed. A clock strikes two in some faraway part of the house as I knock on the door. Ask if Miss Kathy needs help with her zipper. If she needs me to set out her pills, to draw her bath, and light the candles on her fireplace mantel. The altar. Ooh. So she's obsessed. Bad. Girl. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. So I think the thing that we can end this episode with is whether we think it's a good idea to judge a book by its cover. I will say, I think... In the past, I would have said no, but I think that the industry as it is now, it is safe to judge a book by its cover, and you'll probably understand the tone and concept of the book. Mm -hmm. Fully agree. Absolutely. You get yeah. more. Yeah. I am okay with it, even though the concept of picking one up just by the cover is incredibly Beautiful. like anxiety-ridden <laughs> for me. I don't yes. know why. So. Yes. Okay. So officially, four out of four librarians agree that you should judge books by covers. I'm just saying. There you go. But and you can you, own it. Yeah. And if yeah. you right. judge it Be and proud. don't like it, don't blame us, okay? Yeah, you've That's only right. got yourself to blame. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And stay tuned next week for more fantastic book recommendations. Bye. Bye.